Warning, you never know what's going to pop out of our mouth. We may or may not use inappropriate language, but you, if you know us, you can guarantee we probably are. Warning. What's up? What's up? I'm Sarah, the mother. And I'm Jewel, the daughter. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to What, what the, the F is Lady Like. First thing that comes to my mind when someone says cyclical vomiting is just pain, miserable. That's, that's really all I can say about the disease. I see the pain that it uh, brings my daughter. The peach monster. The horrible retching that comes from your toes and makes you just want to pop your head off. syndrome is burden. Basically, I have a chronic stomach condition that causes me to to vomit a lot, and there's currently no cure for it. You're having a migraine in, in your head and a migraine in your stomach at the same time, and I've had kidney stones, and it's worse. I've had two kidney stones, and it's beyond kidney stone pain, um, and just throwing up until you have nothing left to throw up in your system. Just get really tired, fatigued, very nauseous. I usually wake up like at 3 in the morning and tell my mom that I'm feeling sick. Well, I don't think uh, the general population understands the violence of this condition. The vomiting, which is me up on all fours, retching, making horrible noises. So I get sick, I get uh, nausea and I get really bad stomach pain. Uh, it feels like a constant cramp in my stomach. And uh, it's just, I, I can go for a week like that. I, I'll lose uh, 10 or 15 pounds in, say, a week or a week or two. And it's just constant pain. I can't hold anything down, water, food, nothing. It's just miserable. Before I was diagnosed, I had lost trust in my own instincts, which is a horrible feeling. I knew something was wrong. I knew I was being diagnosed and treated wrong, and um, there wasn't anything I could do about it. A lot of hospital visits. We counted up about 50 in three years. Nobody knew in our area what CVS was, and our child that suffers with it three, four, five times a year. But I had no one, no one in my network who was dealing with this. And most of the people I know, including doctors, had never even heard of it. My biggest triggers are happy stress. Christmas used to be a big trigger for me when I was a kid. Um, also, lack of sleep, so I know I have to be in bed by a certain time and asleep. We'll limit the triggers that cause the episodes, because they they're difficult for him, but they're also difficult for parents. So watch their kids go through those cycles over and over again. They would get frustrated um, if a family outing was planned and things got canceled or the house had to suddenly get very quiet so that Caleb had some hope of getting to sleep. Um, so I think it, it is hard and, and I think you're living in a constant state of worry. A lot of issues with keeping friendships and just going through with a daily life like as of right now, getting a license is out of the question, and I'm about that age, uh, getting a job. If I'm sick, I can't go to work. It made high school really difficult for me. Um, I had to take an extra year to finish high school. 
um, I was in the bathroom all the time, and I had to medically withdraw from college this past year. I lost my house. Well, the job was first, and the job, my house, my car, and then my friends. Because when you keep telling your friends that you're too sick to do anything with them, after a while, they stop believing you. It's affected my kids. Um, last year was a very hard year for them because it was like at the peak of the illness. And they didn't know whether they were going to come home from school and find me home or find me in the hospital. Nobody will hire me and keep me on when they find out I have attendance issues. I need to be able to support my family, but I, I need to be able to support them physically, not just financially. The syndrome just knocks her down and does not allow her to have the life that she should have. I have to be her advocate, which means I have to keep track of everything. I have to document everything. I have to keep it all in a little book. It, it's, it's not who you are. You're not that kid who, who pukes. You know, you're still you. I still do all the things I used to do. I still go to school. I still play lacrosse. I still do everything I want to do. It's not going to define you, and, and there are ways to get around it. And it, Don't live by it. Just live with it. Hopefully each day there'll be a little space in between the vomiting, and they'll be able to feel a little bit better, and that there are a lot of us out there. There is something out there called CVSA that you're definitely not alone. Get online um, and check out the CVSA website, that it's a host of wonderful information that will connect them with people that will support them. first time listening to us welcome welcome guys welcome to our podcast we're on part three part three yeah i think this is uh, gonna be the final one so we left off and joel decided she was gonna start taking her health into her hands before we start talking about her health in her hands all of these things that we're going to talk about today are not not from a doctor. There are things that she just did her own research on, started you know testing it to see if it would help her. Um, sometimes in cyclic vomiting uh, syndrome, it every person's case is different. Not everybody is the same. Everybody's triggers are different. But there's one thing, is cyclic vomiting syndrome is real. 
It's not just in people's heads. It is a name that was given for this occurrence that happens. And, and there's no cure for it. So knowing that, along with everything that we already talked about with Jules' health of different things that happen or different diagnosis that, that she had, you know, she had to do something. So when, when we're talking about this today, we're not doctors. We're just somebody who, who tried to help in a situation because what we have not talked about was the gaslighting that you feel like with your doctors. And it's not just through COVID. And it's not just because of the lack of nurses, the lack of doctors. It is education, knowing what cyclic vomiting syndrome is. So where we left off was Joel was diagnosed with H. pyro, was unable to be treated for it. And those of you that don't know what H. pyro is, over a period of time, it starts eating the line of your stomach, right, Joel? Yeah, so it is a stomach ulcer-causing illness that if you don't get treated or if it doesn't go away, it causes stomach ulcers in all parts of your stomach. And like she says, it eats the lining of your stomach away. And so it causes all sorts of problems. So Joel came to me. I think she talked to me about it. She started making life choices, decisions within herself to try and get better. Yeah. Shortly after it was hard for me, like I couldn't tolerate the medication for the H. pyroly. I did a bunch of research on it. And then, like she said, I started having conversations with everybody about things that may change. And that would be a lot of my food, um, just the way of just life in general. So I kind of narrowed it down to I really cannot tolerate tomato sauce, tomato, if anything we've noticed. So in the beginning, I believe I started jotting down and taking a diary of the food intakes that I had. So I had a journal and I could tell when you'd have to write notes and say how you're feeling after you're eating certain foods. And I was able to find a lot of triggers with that. Then, like I said, tomato based, anything that being barbecue sauce anything with the tomato like chilies and all that kind of stuff and certain types of heavy heavy spicy things and then sugar I a lot of sugar was one of my triggers for like I couldn't have a lot of desserts like cake cookies pastry all ice cream all this stuff you know so I kind of just adjusted that and also just started having a cleaner diet which was i intaked a lot of fruits and veggies more into my diet which i love them so it wasn't that hard but eliminated instead of bad snacks like um i I don't know we just did a lot of research on foods and what's actually in your foods and what how that affects your stomach and um a lot of regular chips like snacking chips has bad oils like soybean oils like um 
corn syrups and the vegetable oils that are bad because it's bad bad for your cholesterol, bad for your stomach, clogs you up. So we noticed that just pure olive oil or avocado-based anything was the best option for those snacky things. So I gutted out a lot of snacks that I was like, dang it. I was like, these are good things that I love and I couldn't have it anymore. And now I've found a circle of foods that is like key that I buy over and over again. So you even, even down to the flour, Mm -hmm. the sugar, Mm you changed it to where it was all natural, right? We also switched um, because we, you know, we do, we do do this podcast. So we do know a lot about your food, right? Mm -hmm. There's certain type of rice we won't even have, right? Yeah. So you and I just heavily did research on pretty much all foods, like even fruits and veggies, what was like, even like grown differently than organically and certain things that were okay even if it wasn't it was just like a whole list of stuff like your sugars to find out like actual real raw sugar has minerals that are beneficial to your health not saying eat a lot of sugar from the raw sugar but it has actual minerals that your body needs unlike cane sugar and so we just and even everything to the spices, because even like my dad's health was going crazy. So we were looking at spices and seasonings and a lot of the mixed blend seasonings weren't good for you. And so we got just everything separately. That was good. Also within that research, she even found out what f- foods are healthy for her if she was fighting an infection, correct? Yes. So um, one big one that we found that's been really helpful for me is bone broth. Bone broth is really important to the healing process of all, a lot of your body parts. That was key. And they're like certain, I started doing a lot of good juicing, a lot of turmeric and ginger in there. It was really good for your gut health. So you just, whatever whatever situation you have, you have to look for that specific diet. You can't go and do like a losing weight diet. You have to say like gut health diet or, you know, if you're struggling with really bad migraines, what foods to stay away from that. So you just have to specifically look for that. And we did a lot of research on a lot of those types of topics. You also started becoming really aware of what time you need to go to sleep, right? Yes. So a lot of my sleeping changed to the position I sleep, to what time I go to sleep, and also my medications because the medications that I am currently still taking was we were doing as needed. So whenever I started feeling nauseous, I would take it. But we found out that that was too late. It wouldn't work if I got to that point of if I'm feeling nauseous, I'm screwed usually every time. So it's been now more of a routine thing that I take it every single night before I go to bed at a certain time. And so this is like my new routine, but I've started this a year ago to this day almost. And we, what I I had to limit my dinner time. So like I couldn't eat past a certain time because then if I went past that time, I mean, a little snack, if I felt it after would be okay, but not like overindulging. So pretty much like 7, 7.30 was like my cap because then I would take my medicine at 8.30. Sometimes I started taking it at night, but then we figured out, no, I needed to take it earlier, which 8.30 has been my time. 
And so I take my nauseous medicine that is supposed to, they, they call it abort the nausea and vomiting. And then I am attempting to lay down and go to sleep. I, tr- I limit the, I guess, chaos. So like I don't watch a stressful show or a stressful movie because then we've noticed that if increasing my stress levels, like with my heart racing, it causes me to not feel good. So limiting shows, certain shows and movies during that time. And it was just kind of just stuff that I enjoyed and made me happy and didn't make me upset. So a lot of the times I don't have the news on. The news stresses me out because it's crazy. And then limiting my phone time and trying to be asleep by a good time or at least in bed. And when I'm in the bed, I... This was a hard one to change because I used to just sleep on my side or my back like flat and now I can't. I am sleeping, think of like a hospital bed. I'm upright, like uh, slanted 180. I don't know what you want to call it. That helps your acid because mm-hmm. cyclic vomiting, now you've had an acid issue from vomiting so much, right? Yes. So... Your acid for people who have this issue or developing over a lot of acid or vomiting and all, etc. It sits at the top of your stomach. So if you go to lay down, it's just going to come up. If you are put your body in an upright position, hopefully it works its way down eventually. But you're in a down position, so it's not coming up. We've kind of did a research on sleep positions and all that. And... It's also beneficial for your heart as well to sleep more upright than on your on your back and side is what we've learned. Um, the only thing that it's been strugglesome with is it's not the most com- we have like comfortable for my neck and my back. It starts hurting, but it it'll get better. It it's better than throwing up. In the average time that Joel throws up is about two three in the morning. When we did research. We found out that's kind of similar to what everybody else is doing that um, has been diagnosed with cyclic vomiting syndrome. Yeah, it was like they're getting woken up from their sleep and it's, then it's uncontrollable. What, like One thing that I used to do, but now it's almost a trigger when I'm not feeling good, is I used to take baths, but then it ended up triggering it more. And so I stopped doing it. But that was a lot, that was something that was very common with all of us was trying to do a bath, which I've noticed because usually the bath is hot or warm. And I noticed within this that this last year, if I got overly hot, so if, for instance, because we close our vent um, so it doesn't get super hot in our room, but if it gets open and it gets overly hot in our room, it makes me not feel good. And the same thing, if I, I it's got to be a happy medium. If I get too cold, then I'm shivering and then, then I shake and I don't feel good. And one thing I do have to tell you is Joel suffers from, what do you, what do you call it um, when you can't sleep? Because of cyclic vomiting. Well, I, insomnia and I also develop just a fear of sleep because every time I'd go to sleep, I would just, wake up in the middle of the night not feeling good. And those things, I mean, even down to this day, Joel still suffers from that. 
But I do have to say is let's try not to stress about what hasn't happened yet. So I know I try to preach this with Jules hard because, you know, she's like, well, fuck mom, you don't go through this. I don't go through it, but I watch her go through it. And we have to try not to stress out about something that hasn't occurred yet. A lot of things throughout the years that um, stuff I had enjoyed or enjoyed eating, I've had to stop doing it because I'm like, okay, well, that's a trigger. Being able to, like, I can't do, like, long walks with my kids, can't overexert myself, can't dance, can't jump around as much because then I don't feel good. Then it's like, can't even bend over because then I have my pots. It's like a bunch of stuff that is now contributing to triggering. I've just had to learn to live a different life. So she had a good run. So from the time that she started, she's like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to change my lifestyle. You had a great run, right? It was like a two-month period, right? Yeah, I think when I first started... I mean, at the time when I was starting, I was having episodes all the time, like I think multiple times in the month. And so this is like we needed to kick it in gear and change it. So to some people (laughs) saying two months may not be a long time, but that was that's a long time for someone who struggles with cyclic vomiting. And it was like a celebration every time, even like my friend would write it on his calendar to make sure like he knew like he was like, you've made it this far. You made it this far. That was the two months. Every two months would be like the longest I would go. And then two months would go and then I'd have an episode. And I would beat myself up about it because I'm like, what am I what am I getting triggered by? Because I'm doing everything right. Like I eliminated a bunch of foods. I'm taking my medicine. And so I'm like, if I'm taking my nauseous medicine, why am I getting nauseous? Like, what the fuck? And we started narrowing it down when she started uh, having those triggers because we were like, okay, she had a fast food, mm-hmm. you know, cheeseburger, mm-hmm. uh, but but she didn't have just like, you know, McDonald's. She had like whatever the, you know, the most natural, you know, option that she had, mm-hmm. you know, so we were, we would try to write that down, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of you know, heavy, heavy foods didn't uh, sit well with her. Also stress, stress does not sit well with her. It could, it could trip her into being nauseous and that's just not mental health. It's just something within her, you know? Uh, yeah, Jill suffers from mental health. She's going to tell you that. There's also triggers that happen when you're dealing with stressful situations over and over and you just, you just, you know, tense, stressed out, you know? So we try to like, narrow that down of what it is sometimes we just don't know what triggers it um but there are there are times we we do know now before we had no fucking clue but you know uh this last time we're gonna we're gonna talk about jewel being in the hospital in and out nine dayers Mm -hmm. we had a great run and I'm not quite sure when you were in the hospital for that nine days. I was, it was October of last year. It was October of 2022. Yeah, that was the first time, I think for a while, I think it's been a while 
before I was admitted, and that was the first time I've been admitted in a while. October, you went into the hospital um, last year in October, and she had had several good runs with, you know, changing her health, Mm -hmm. you know, acknowledging when she needs to go to sleep, all of that great stuff. Yeah, I can specifically remember certain food situations that have sent me to and through an episode, which one being I had a Burgerville burger, which was all natural and grass fed. And that's what I changed a lot. It was like my, all my meat was grass fed meat. And, um, that was one time. And then I remember I had this, I didn't realize had tomato base, but this is where I found out that had tomato base was barbecue, like pulled porky, pulled beef sandwiches, which was really good too much on my body. And then, um, most recently didn't know that this could be a thing, but it's, I think certain heavy foods was chicken and dumplings. <laughs> I was really upset cause I really love chicken and dumplings, but the time when I went into the hospital for nine days and I couldn't eat this for a while, but it, I don't know what the combo was, was I had eaten, um, my regular Alfredo that I make because I can't have red sauce. So I've switched to Alfredo and I started making it religiously. I waited a little while and then I went to go take a nap and I woke up from the nap probably around like four or five, just started throwing up and I'm like, what the hell? And cause like at that time I was told to try and take naps when I can, because I can't, People who have vomiting or trouble, they are supposed to get a good amount of sleep. And if you don't, then it could trigger it. And it's like this whole thing. But I was like, what the hell? I'm doing what I'm supposed to again. And it just like didn't make any sense. But that was probably one of the worst episodes. I don't know what to call it. Period that I had ever gone through. When you're suffering from cichlid vomiting syndrome, this this time, and I'm going to talk about this because I was there quite a bit uh, with Joel. I took her to the hospital that time. She hid from vomiting so much because in the ER, they would, you know, try to get her out of the episode. It wasn't happening. She, they would release her, come home, do all this stuff, right? Um, I took her into the hospital. By this point, she was passing out, like passing out, falling on the ground. You know, we were there. Uh, her dad came, relieved me. Then they ended up back home. Then they ended up going back to the hospital. And get we, we ended up getting her admitted to the hospital. But it wasn't an easy thing. And... There's different things that occur when she's having these episodes. Number one, when somebody suffers from cyclic vomiting syndrome and they have been vomiting so long, it's almost like a coma-like state that they're in and they can't respond. So they really need a good advocate sitting there with them, you know, to get them admitted, right? And if they're not looking through your history... You know, there's no bells and whistles that are going to go off. This time she got admitted. She went up. 
She had a really good nurse that was her advocate. She agreed to a procedure that ended up happening there. And of course, they found out she still had H. pyro. Yes. And before that, the process, some of it was really, really hard um, because I was going back and forth. Like she said, like I would come home and then it would still be bad and I'd have to go back to the hospital. And so I had encountered many doctors, different doctors, different nurses and all this. The time when right before I got admitted, I had a very, very unprofessional doctor. No, that was this. That was the last time that was like you'd been in the hospital for days and they released you on a after hours and we couldn't get your medication. Yeah. And so we ended up having to bring you back. Right. And no, but that was the time. Yeah. So the second time when I went back in, because I was kept going back and forth, this person was very, very unprofessional. This is what was told to me. And I just remember also his attitude and how he treated me and it, I did not like it. But what was told to me was like I kept passing out and I wasn't doing good. And they told the concerns to the nurses and the doctor. And that was my mother and Simon, my partner. And the guy came over in the hand that I have an IV in. And I think Simon and you both said that he threw it over my head. And then my arm just like fell and because I was limp, I wasn't really there. Then, and I ended up asking for a, a patient advocate. Yeah, a patient advocate did come down, but they wanted to do something crazy like a spinal tap, and I had to like. Yes, the guy was very like, if you don't do everything my way, you you're gonna die. Very like cocky and not nice at all like him and my and Simon were butting heads because Simon was he's very he's very protective of me so when after he threw my arm I think Simon had a problem with him and so they were arguing and going back and forth and then they looked at some of my test results and they were saying that they needed to go into my spine to get fluid and if they didn't do this, he goes, just, he's like, he's like, you need to know this. He's like, if I don't do this, you could die. And I'm just like, who, what the fuck? Like, yeah. what, who the fuck? And like my mom, then after he said that he, she contacted my uncle. My uncle knows a lot of medical stuff. And he, she's like, should they even go near Joel's spine? Like, is it like, what the <laughs> heck? Like, and he goes, no, do not let them put a needle in her spine. Mm. And so hey, I mean, I'm still fucking here. I'm not dead. But like, dude, don't do that. That's not fucking cool. So after you got the patient advocate, the patient advocate then advocated for me and got me and readmitted to the hospital. I remember this admission more than the first one. Actually, I don't remember the first beginning because I don't even remember them asking me if they can do the procedure on me. <laughs> so I don't remember that, but I think everything after the procedure waking up from that, I do remember. But which sucks because I think I had to sign papers and stuff. And that was where they found that I still had H. pyroly, which was a chronic H. pyroly. Found 
a couple other things that are I medically cannot pronounce a lot of, but basically my whole stomach was inflamed and then I had bleeding in a certain part of my stomach. I think it was the upper part of my stomach, not the lower part. And anytime during the procedure they would press on it, it would just gush blood. And so I don't know if it just like got torn from it being inflamed so much and irritated. So it just did a tear like how like your lips do or if it was my hemophilia playing in factor there where maybe I don't know. I, it's just a lot of questions with that one. They were pretty insistent of her going in and having treatment for H pyro, mm -hmm. not um, she can go home and take it, but it can have a tri trip into an episode. But she needs to be an inpatient to be treated for H pyro. So we were on a mission after getting out of, you know, when, when she got home, we were on this mission of how the hell were, are we going to get her treated for inpatient H pyro? Yeah. And this is where I get tossed around a bunch. Um, Cause the people that the admitting hospital where I was just at, they said that they couldn't provide me with the medication. They couldn't do it. And that I had to get approval from my, GI, gastrologist, gastroenterologist, whatever you want to call them. So then I'm like, okay, perfect. You know, I have a good relationship with her. She's the one who diagnosed me with cyclic vomiting, blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm having all this hope, right? Go and see her. And she's like, mm, no, I don't have admitting privileges. And I'm like, what? How? And she's like, we stopped doing that in whatever the year, I think the 90s or something like that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, then what? what are my options? And then she says that I have to go see, um, what are they called? It was an infectious disease, yeah. infectious disease doctor. And that they would be the ones to be able to admit me into the hospital to get this treatment. And I've already been aware that this treatment would be a, a course of like a week, two weeks. And, um, I was prepared for that and then go and see her. I, at this point, I didn't like to go to my doctors alone. I always wanted somebody there with me to also be my second advocate because I needed them to witness what I was enduring at all these doctor's appointments because I'm just like, I'm done. Like, you guys aren't helping me, blah, 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 blah. I needed people there to hear what I was hearing. So that way I wasn't making shit up because <laughs> they think everybody who has sick vomiting is crazy. So... We're at this appointment and my Simon was at my last appointment before then. So I had people with me who they vouched for me saying that this is what the doctor said. So go to infectious disease. We're not even there, but five minutes. And she's like, oh, I can't help you either. I can't do that. And she's she's like Ugh. she so she says this. So I'm going to do this while Jill's trying to regroup without like, you know, flipping out. But you know, if I was to Jill, I'd be flipping out. She basically, and Jill's going to get into this, she basically told us the only way that she could help is if she got, 
you know, basically tripped into an episode. Mm -hmm. And she, she never, and I was there with Joel, she never offered uh, any, any treatment or at-home treatment. But let me tell you, Jill's got the documentation that that the, the, this infectious disease lady said to us that she offered the treatment and we denied that thing. Yes. At the very beginning, like my mom said, she says that I had to be going through a GI emergency. Anything being my sickle vomiting or at this time after this last episode that I had before my most recent, I was bleeding. I was bleeding a lot when I would poop, not through vaginally, through rectally. And it was a lot of blood and it wasn't, it wasn't stopping. I was like, is that a, is that a GI emergency? Cause like, I don't know. And I think she's wanting me more so to be in a cyclic vomiting episode. I'm like, okay, cool. I really don't want to do that. Right. Um, wish you guys could treat me without having to be fucking weak. As shit. Yeah. Being at my lowest. So that wasn't an option. Um, so she said to, to, if she if I had one of those to contact her or whatever when you're at go to and I had to go to their emergency room for them to be able to treat me. OK. And so I'm like, well, what the fuck? And like me and you were like, that's not cool. But we're like, OK, well, I'm bound to have one, but I don't know when and blah, 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 blah. And I believe Joel's next GI appointment was like a little bit out. So after that appointment, um, I definitely lost it because I was like, what the fuck? I keep getting turned to here, here, like all over. Nothing happened. I lost it. I cried. I did. I was like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Do, do, do? Then we get home and I always like to read the actual doctor's notes because Sometimes they put stuff in there that you don't know. And so this, oh, and right after, right before we left, she was saying how it was very important for all my doctors to get on the same page and that she was going to contact my GI doctor. Keep that in mind. Um, but we're home and I'm going over the notes with you and I'm just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? And I have you read it and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> that was not offered to us. And we did not decline anything. She said that she could not provide any treatment at this time, cannot provide any treatment. And I was like, so putting that I denied it. So this is why I had and somebody with me at every appointment, because then it's like they wouldn't believe me because they would see the doctor's notes and be like, no. You denied treatment. I'm like, no, I fucking didn't. And so that was shocking. And then so I am message my GI doctor and I tell her about it and how she couldn't do it until I did had an episode, blah, 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 blah. I kind of just gave her the 411 and that she was supposed to contact you. And so I messaged her probably a couple days later because the infectious disease that she was going to call her that day at the end of the day. And so I'm like, perfect. Great. Everybody's going to get on the same fucking page. Finally. No, my doctor said nobody's contacted me. Nobody's talked to me. Blah, 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 blah. 
And within those conversations, emails back and forth, she recommends that I do a type of baby colonoscopy. It's called a, a sigmoidoscopy. And so it's just like where they look at the lower part of your colon. It's not a full colonoscopy. She's like, I think you can make it through the prep of this one. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, great. Let's do it. Hello. Hi, um, good afternoon. Is this Julie? Uh, sorry, Jule. Yes, this is. Hi, you must have just returned my phone call. I did. Sorry, I was on the phone with another patient. Oh, you're okay. Uh, my name is Ina. I'm one of the GI lab nurses from Adventist. Um, so one of our machines broke down last night for, for our scopes to process them and clean them. Um, so we have to reschedule um, all our patients for Monday. Oh, okay. So I'm very, very sorry. Um, we're going to work really hard on getting everybody rescheduled as soon as possible. Um, but hopefully you haven't started drinking your prep yet. We were hoping to catch you early enough. No, see, I, I'm not doing any of that. I'm doing the one with the enemas. So I would do be doing it. An enema? I see that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so nope, I haven't started nothing like that. <laughs> okay. Um, but I have them, so though. The, you have them. Perfect. Um, so the office will give you a call and we'll see where we can fit you in um, as soon as possible, of course. Whatever works for your schedule. Okay. Sounds good. Right. Yes, I'm sorry, but uh, have a great weekend. Thanks, you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So I'm not getting my butt looked at on Monday. Woo, I can eat tomorrow. Nope. So it's going to be rescheduled. Yeah, but we should we should know about it. This is just like your luck with your health care. Well, yeah, but I mean, what can you do? The machines are down. They're what does that make you feel like? I'm not excited about the procedure, so I don't really care. I care more about the other shit that I have to get done. So hopefully I can get that dealt with by next week. I'm still in my head going, okay, I'm still not resolving this treatment of H. pyroly. Great. This is great. And I was supposed to schedule an appointment to talk to my GI doctor about it and say what was happening, all this stuff, and da-da-da-da-da. I wasn't getting one for the longest time. And then I ended up being on the phone but this was right after my sigmoidoscopy which that prep was easier on me than the regular colonoscopy I didn't have to ingest anything in my body I just couldn't eat but as you hear on the recordings she did not they they called her we yeah. we we went into the hospital we started recording I tried to start recording because these these people are like effing crazy. Mm -hmm. And why do you think patients who suffer from illnesses lose their motherfucking shit all the time is because of what Joel goes through? I had to go through all the process of, I didn't start not eating yet. And, but we go to go get my COVID test and because my procedure was supposed to be a couple days after. So you have to do that. And I went and did it. Negative, you know, great. Then I get a call and they're like, oh, we're going to have to cancel your sigmoidoscopy and reschedule you. But I wasn't getting rescheduled right then there. So I was like, okay, this could probably be a fucking long time again. And then I get a call a couple days later in the week and they scheduled it the, a week after. And so 
week both weekends back to back had to get a covid tested you're all just missed out man can I find my Ralphie shirt? So I'm wearing Rolling Stones. Close enough. <laughs> Ralphie Rolling Stones. Well, I am wearing this. One. Well, I have that one. So I can't find my one that says, oh, fudge, it's Christmas. Oh, fudge, it's Christmas? Well, it's not windy like it was last time we were here. And my feet are like stars, it's like they're like stars. Main entrance, take two. Where I'm going to my name and training. Unless they call me after this and say it's canceled again. <laughs> Everybody's papers are breaking it, dude. <laughs> No, it's that one. Your rights and responsibility. I had to take a picture of it. I mean, you kept joking around like, oh, is this one going to get canceled too? Or am I going to get called canceled? And no. So I I started the process of not like eating certain foods. You can only have liquid diet and all this stuff. And that, guys, that is hard. It's not fun. So I... I tried to do the stuff that was good. Like I had like lime jello and just broth. And I tried, I'm like, I could probably season it to make it not just be broth. So I did that. But then I had to do, I'm not embarrassed about it. I had to do enemas that in the morning before the procedure did those. Those are, I mean, for some people, I think it hurts, but it, it was just uncomfortable and you have to like hold the liquid there and just expel it and it's just like what the fuck not cool don't like it um but i liked it better than throwing up so it's fine socks um before the procedure they have to get an iv in you 
because that's how they were going to sedate me was through IV. And so they were poking me everywhere and couldn't get a vein to work. And so after like the third poke, they had to get a different nurse and I just started crying. And I remember her coming in and I was crying and um, Simon didn't say this or mean it in like a mean way. He was just like, you're okay, honey. Like he was like trying to console me. And she go- looks at him and just easier said. <laughs> and she's like, you're not the one going through it. And he's like, fair. And then she asked me, she's like, what makes you the happiest in the world? Like what brings you joy? And I go, my kids. And so she distracted me talking to my kids and she was able to get an IV site on me. And so that was really, really I that was like because I had had that really bad episode in October my veins got really fucked up especially on my right side they were uplifted and swollen for the longest time um I had a collapsed vein in my like bend of my arm and so it's just, my veins are just given out on me because of every time I'm going to the hospital that I don't it sticks with me because that was kind of after that episode that's the beginning of like just my veins just not working and they started talking about wanting to put uh, a port in her because of that that hasn't occurred but they did want they did during that time talk about putting a port in her yeah so um, at one of the conversations I had with the GI doctor, I believe Simon was with me. Um, she goes, you know, after we have these couple procedures being, I just she want she wants me to get a full colonoscopy. She wanted me to get the sigmoidoscopy and certain things she wanted done. And then she goes, but I strongly think we need to discuss you getting a port put in to protect your veins. And I was like, fuck, dude, I don't want to do that. So I had the procedure. They found, they did find a polyp. It's a polyp, yeah. Yeah, which was benign, normal. That's fine. But then because of it, they were like, we want to do a full colonoscopy. And I'm like, great, fuck my life. So I'm now scheduled for that. It is a ways out, which is fine. But I'm not excited about it. So I don't know how it's going to go. But you had a good run after that, right? You went you went like three months, right, after? Yeah, so three months um, was the longest I had gone, and I was really proud of myself. I got through all of the, a lot of the major holidays. I got through Halloween because like, I had it happen to me right before Halloween. So I got through Halloween. I got through Thanksgiving. I got through Christmas. And a lot of those, because... You'll find when you do research that exciting events or big events are triggering sometimes for cyclic vomiting patients. They, I don't, I mean, I can see it. It's just like a, you're, you're, sometimes your family's stressful, but it's not that. It's just the pressure of just, I don't know, being on. I don't know how to explain it, but it's just a lot of people more than what you're used to. And, it's like trying to keep up conversation with everybody. It just gets exhausting. It's not anything personal. It's just, it's exhausting. 
Um, but I got through that and then, you know, New Year's and then my birthday. I, you know, got through my birthday and was feeling fine and doing good. And the day after my birthday, I, you know, we had, I was still having a good day, um, feeling fine. And we did chicken and dumplings. I didn't even go to sleep this time. I don't know if I'm still trying to figure this one out. It's always trying to figure out what triggers what. Um, I felt fine after eating dinner. I went to go, which wasn't my normal thing after dinner, was I went to go watch a movie with Simon. But I wasn't just sitting up. I was, like, sitting back in my bed. But I wasn't laid back. I was just in my normal position. Then it just hit me. And I just started throwing up. And this was, again, I've had now a few times where this isn't happening in the middle of the night anymore. It's happening during the day. And so I'm like, what the heck is happening? Like, I don't understand. And there was no stressful event that happened. We don't know why. So we're assuming maybe it could be, you know, the food that she ate that triggered it. Um, it was just her birthday. That could be like in the back burner. Um, she could have had w way too many people during her birthday try to get a hold of her. Somebody maybe not, you know, that she associates with anymore. It could be anything. Could be anything. But at the same time, it happened. And guess what? She went to her hospital out of the way like when she went to her hospital membrane that this lady's like mm, if she has this episode maybe she could get treated for h pyro there's been only probably i don't even know if two times maybe one time to two times max that i've ever been able to actually throw up and get out of it i think two times one time was actually at home and I was able to get myself out of it and sleep it off. Another time, I'm embarrassed to say this, but when I was getting tattooed and the person who was tattooing me did a lovely job and knew how to handle it and I got through my tattoo and it was it was great. Doesn't scare me to get tattoos, but that was one of the times that I was able to just boop boop recover from it. So I always try to go and I'm like okay the, is this gonna stop I can kind of sense the feeling that's in my gut this time was it, every time has been coming more different than the last whereas this time when I was throwing up I was like choking back for air so I would throw up and then I felt <clears throat> like it was like stopping my breathing because I after I would get the puke out I would try to breathe in and do like a <gasps> And I couldn't do that. And so I'm like choking for air. And I kept doing that the whole time. And so that was a big indicator for me to say, no, I need to go in. And my heart was like not feeling good. My chest kept hurting and it was hurting differently than it ever did before. I kind of immediately was like, no, 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 I need to go in like now. And everybody was like, what hospital? And I said, and I was saying, I need to go to Portland Adventist. That's what I was told. And I, I looked at you. I was like, right, mom. I'm like, that's where I need to go. And you're like, yeah. So that's the hospital that we went to. And my dad took me. 
you uh, gave him all the information that he needed to know because you were at the yeah. appointment. And so he kept repeating himself over and over and over and over and over again. And I think, you know, after a while, when you're, when, when you've gone through it, you have to repeat yourself over and over again. Yeah. So, um, I don't remember how long we waited, um, in the waiting room. I don't think we waited in the waiting room that long, but then we got back to this, um, I guess like triage area. I wouldn't even say it was a room. They, we waited there for, I think a while, I think good couple hours. I can't remember. I don't think they tried to get it. I think they tried to get an IV in me then and it was just not working. And so then they were like, okay, we're going to wait till you get back in the room and then we'll try and get an IV in you. That was the beginning, which I had this happen to me once before, but it was like times and times before. And my dad was there at that time too. So he witnessed both of these times. Whereas like my jaw would like, I don't know how to explain it, like lock up or um do something weird where it would cause me to have this weird mouth. stuff mouth problem whereas like my tongue would stick out i would not be able to talk clearly my tongue would then stick to the roof of its mouth and it was ba- they they thought i was having a seizure or a stroke so they had to do a certain test for that um but it was happening constantly even till like i think the day before i even got discharged Simon was visiting me and it was happening when he was there and he's like, what is that? And I'm like, I don't know. It's this it's new, a new thing. It's a it's new a thing, thing that's happening to me. And I don't know why, um, during that time, cause I was having really bad chest pain. There was stuff going on with my heart. My heart rate was going up and my blood pressure, I think was off. Lots of things were happening. Um, same situation was happening with my veins. They were, could not get an IV in me. You could ask my dad. My dad was there. They poked me so many times that I I think we both were kind of giving each other the same kind of look and feeling where it's like, oh, shit, they may go through my leg or they may they're going to do somewhere. Luckily, I finally got through. They didn't wait this time where they were like, no, we, we need to admit her. And again, my dad was repeating the same thing. She was told to come to this hospital because they were she was told that they would treat her for her H. pyrally. She has H. pyrally. And he kept repeating the same thing over and over again. And then he even repeated, because they would try to talk to me and ask me questions. And he would even repeat to him themselves, she's not really there. Like, she's not going to be able to respond to you. And so my dad was answering as best as he could, but they would still ask me fucking questions that, like, I'm, like, trying to answer, and it was really, really hard. But I got admitted, I remember it ish and it was it was a tough one I got admitted in the middle of the night I think I was there for like two to three days roughly I think three days total I don't know like I know I was in the hospital longer the, the time before that but this time just like felt different. They had to do this head scan on me to make sure that I wasn't having a seizure or a stroke so they did all these sticky thingies all over my head and so I had all these cords hanging and so that was intimidating I had a CAT scan they always do CAT scans on me and but I can't do it with iodine so it's always oh usually always without iodine but there's there's a time when they weren't so nice and they made me drink iodine that I don't 
I don't like to think about because they're like, maybe you won't have a reaction. No, I still did. But this time is just like my chest was like really hurting. Every time I'd breathe in, it would hurt. And it was strugglesome <laughs> breathing. And so I had to have oxygen on for a long time. And it's just, I think my body's like, even though I'm having those good stretches of time, uh, I think my body's just like had enough. And so it just is weak. So now that we went through her history, I mean, this was the most recent episode and it was, we're still, it was this month. So we, you're now caught up to this month. Doctors, how do you feel about doctors? I don't trust them. It's hard to trust doctors now because I think especially going through this H. pyrily process, it's, I'm getting tossed around like they don't care. And I'm just like this thing. They always, it's always, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But I, like, I'm sick of the I'm sorry's and I need somebody to actually care and do something to help me. I don't know. I just wish I had this miracle doctor that would help me. <laughs> so as far as uh, the doctors knowing about cyclic vomiting syndrome, how many doctors and, or, and nurses have knowledge of cyclic vomiting syndrome that you've ran into? I think just pretty much one, which was the one who diagnosed me with it. And that was, that's my current GI doctor now. They, I think the people at the hospital think they have an idea about it, but they don't because any doctor that I've run into, it's, it's always almost, and I, everybody's been, I'm not usually alone at the hospital. And so they're like, okay, what medicine gets you out of this? And it's like, da, 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 da. They're asking me mm-hmm. what medicine to give me. And I'm just like, I could say anything to them. And they just be like, okay. And I'm, so I'm like, I don't know. Look at, look at what I got last time. Like, look at my records. And that's the thing that's so frustrating is the doctors, whenever you go to the hospital, they ask you the most stupidest questions. Cause it's like, if you just look at my fucking history, you just, you just put it in. It's right there. You're clicked on my name. You can see it. They ask you, what are you allergic to? Look at my fucking chart. Like at this point, it's like hard for me to talk. And you guys sit there and ask me those dumbest questions. So it's like, I don't trust them. I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that. They know what they're doing with cyclic vomiting and it's just a guessing game. So what would you say to people when they're like, Oh, Jules just on a natural kick right now. It'll end. What would you say about changing your diet when you have cyclic vomiting syndrome? I mean, I would say even overall, if, you it's you still end up having an episode or whatnot i think i've noticed changes within my body to where i've cut out the bad food that would make me kind of feel fuller faster and i wouldn't eat that much of it and i was really skinny where i'm eating all the good foods now and i'm actually gaining weight and so i think it's still beneficial to your health because cyclic vomiting causes other issues it eating the way i've been eating really helps eliminate headaches from certain foods that I eat because you eat certain foods that's going to cause you a headache so my key thing is I usually have an apple a day and it's kind of like the saying an apple a day keeps doctor away 
but apples are really good for your gut health. Yogurt. I try to have yogurt almost every day because yogurt is good for your gut health. It has um, live probiotics in them and a lot of fermented foods. I don't like a lot of fermented foods, but fermented foods is good for your gut health. So I think it, I'm taking these things and eating these things that are actually contributing better to my gut health. And maybe my stomach is in this cycle that it's hard to get out of because it's just been in it for so long that I'm trying to get myself out of the cycle. So after last year's show, you had some people come out of the woodwork that said, oh, I have cyclic vomiting too. This is what I go through. And then we even have um, people in other countries reaching out to us mm-hmm. that are not getting care. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that make you feel to know that people are reaching out to you? Um, I think before you actually go into research with cyclic vomiting heavily, and you actually look up to see like going into Facebook groups or Instagram groups and going to the cyclophomine association sites and all this stuff and seeing it, you kind of feel alone until you do that moment. Cause you're like, nobody else has this. Cause when you go to the doctor, you're like, nobody knows what to do. So it's like, if nobody does, like nobody has this. And so it was a big, um, I don't, Honestly, it was a shock to me at first because I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't actually think that there would be this many. I mean, it's not like a tremendously big, huge, long line amount, but it's more than what I thought. And I'm just like, I'm not alone. And then there was a select few people that I connected with and messaged back and forth and found similarities and differences within our cyclic vomiting cases. Whereas there was a woman that I was talking to who her cyclic vomitings weren't as often as mine, but when she had them, it was like lasting her a whole month. And so it was equally not, to, it was all equally not the same thing. It was just hers would last. It would just be different. So she's trying to find out her triggers. Then there was um, another woman that me and her everything to the T. Like she's the same way. Like she couldn't drink anymore. She couldn't have certain foods and she's, you know, figured, changed her lifestyle. And it's like, it was like we were bouncing back and forth on each other. And then there was even people in our family that came out and it's some people that are older than me. Um, And so that was surprising. And then them, basically, they said the only way that they actually stopped vomiting was when they went through menopause, I think. And they were their ovaries basically I think stopped working so like when you get much older and so I was just like whoa that's surprising to find out and by by openly talking about it you've run into people that have cyclic vomiting right face to face yes um I don't really I'm just personally but my son is in a certain class that helps him with his speech and uh his speech therapist has cyclic vomiting just like me I was just like, whoa, like small world. And like, we just always talk about stuff. She recently just was um, dealing with certain stuff to try and get her with a plan and figuring out how to make herself feel better. And she's always doing procedures and tests just like me. And so it was just, we're the same age. And so I was just like, holy crap, like it's small world. One thing I have to say is 
when you look up cyclic vomiting, it says that you can't die from it. Like, it's not like you don't have a death thing, like where, it's, oh, you can die in so many years with it or anything like that, which I think they need to change that because once we got super involved within the cyclic vomiting community, we did find out people were dying. They were dying from dehydration. It would be really hard on people's hearts. Whereas I can feel this for a lot of the cyclic vomiting patients is you start not wanting to go to the hospital. You're like, as much as this help is happening and like, you're, you know, you're giving me this medicine, it's not worth it for the feeling you get from these doctors and what they make you feel like. And so some people who refuse to go to the hospital and think that they can ride it out, it ends up worse for them. You need to go to the hospital. The, the, the thing is, is these people need to be educated. These ER doctors need to be educated on cyclic vomiting syndrome. Cyclic vomiting syndrome is just not in your head. It's just not in your head. I've talked to people about my daughter has CVS syndrome. What are you talking about? That's a drugstore. No, it's not a drugstore. CVS syndrome is cyclic vomiting syndrome. Cyclical, I think it's the technical one is cyclical mm -hmm. vomiting syndrome. We need to have this become aware. I'm not quite sure what they're teaching those doctors in medical school about CVS, but it's not just within your head. It's not just that you're mental. Yes, a lot of people, Patients that, that do have mental illness do have a CVS. But at the same time, there's a lot of patients that don't become anxious and uh, have mental illness because they've been sick. Okay? So a lot of the anxiety becomes, you know, from being ill. From being ill. So yeah, they do have a mental illness after that. I definitely, and I'm open about this, I deal with mental health on its own, with separate from my health. But with how my health has been for these past few years, I've now developed fears, new fears, new things that I never was in having anxiety about before. And now I do have anxiety about it. And so it's definitely creates more m mental health like problems it's due to not getting the proper treatment the other thing is the families you have a loved one that's going through cyclic vomiting syndrome but the families are affected too the patient is affected the families are affected we don't know if, if Jewel gets up in the middle of the night, if she's going to be vomiting or if it's going to be okay, right? So you start hearing water running and you're, and you're, you're, now you're anxious. So it, it's not just the patient, it is those around. And there is no cure. There is no cure for cyclic vomiting. There's only treatment. They can only treat it. And they, there's different stages. We've talked about it of cyclic vomiting syndrome. 
depending on those stages, there's sometimes you just can't get out of the episode. I think as every parent wants is like you want to keep your kid from any trauma, any bad things and, you know, just make the world seem like it's beautiful rainbows and awesome people. Right. It has now been two times that each of my kids have seen me go into an ambulance um, within these past few years. And the first one was Emma and she was very vocal and speaking out to me and saying that she didn't think that I was going to come back. She thought that that um, the ambulance was something, it was just like a one way, like I would go leave and I wasn't coming back. So she was very happy when I came back. She still thinks about it to this day. And then Jackson was the next one who's seen. And he first, this was was told to me, he first was like, oh, you know, ambulance. Like he was like, all excited until he saw that I was going in and then uh he started crying because for one I was getting taken away and also Simon was helping them with it and yeah he was staying with Auntie Shell we had then we had this was separate from me we had an incident Mm -hmm. where somebody in our neighborhood needed help and there was an ambulance for that situation and I think he was traumatized from the last time and he instantly just started having a panic attack full blown he was having a panic attack he was breathing all funny he was having a hard time he thought that it was either he I think he knew it wasn't me because I was the one there with him but I think he thought it was either his dad or his grandma or his yeah. grandpa and so he needed to make sure everybody was there and okay but he was traumatized. He was. He was he was traumatized. And well, in that instance, we were all traumatized, but I mean, we won't talk about the instance, yeah. but um yeah. So March 5th is cyclic vomiting syndrome awareness. Blue is the color. You might be surprised who you know that actually has cyclic vomiting Mm -hmm. syndrome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you want to leave any comments, ask any questions, um, feel free to do so. So until next time, I'm Sarah. And I'm Jewel. Peace.
Our show is produced by us. Our theme song is by Comeback Karma. Don't forget to like and subscribe.